long those are going to be and how soon I should just come up here and stand here and stare at you. So at any rate, uh, yeah, we are starting the 119th Psalm today. And uh, we're going to do that for the month of November, and we're not even going to cover it all this year. We're probably going to do this for a couple of years. We have, if you've been around Coastal a while, you know that uh, we not uncommonly will go to the Psalms to help prepare our mind and our thinking for Thanksgiving. And uh, so this is our prep time for the next few weeks as we look forward uh, to the opportunity to officially focus our hearts and our thoughts on Thanksgiving. So uh, that's what we're going to do. We're going to be in Psalm 119. So again, if you've been around the family for a little while and have spent some time in the scriptures, you probably know that this has the distinction of being the longest chapter, if you will, in the Bible. I know technically they're psalms, they're songs, but they're not uh, they're, they're not really chapters, but they're collected like that. This has 176 verses in it. Uh, even a seasoned preacher could have a hard time holding people that long to preach through 176 verses at once. Uh, but uh, we're not going to try and do that. But I can tell you this, there is so much in this psalm. And the, the big distinction, there are a lot of things we could say about how this psalm is written and the, even the, the nature of it and the paragraphs and the way they're divided up and the way it was written so that people who didn't have a written copy of it could learn it. Uh, can you imagine memorizing 176 verses, but each section starts with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet? I mean, there are a lot of really curious things, but here's what I want you to know about this section of Scripture. The entire 119th Psalm is devoted to the Word of God. It is devoted to knowing and understanding the Word of God. It is perhaps the most comprehensive description of the Bible and its impact on us in all of the revelation of God. Uh, it is a fascinating account. It uses at least eight different terms to refer to the scriptures. It uses the word law 25 times. It uses the word word 24 times. It uses the word testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, ordinances, decrees. All of these various words are used almost synonymously, or at least in similar context, though they, they certainly have different shades of meaning, uh, to refer to the Word of God. And it is found in virtually every one of these 176 verses. The entire chapter is devoted to understanding what the Word of God is, what it is to us, what it is for us, what the benefit is of living it, and that's why we have entitled the series Walking in the Word. For today, I'm going to give you a different title, and it's at the top of your bulletin, and you may have found it a little odd. The Bible makes you happy. <laughs> that's not probably culturally accepted, right? Most people, perhaps anyway a lot, would not look at it and say, well, there's a book that's designed to make me happy. The reason I'm using that, of course, is in the first verse it says, blessed is the man. Now, being blessed is not just being happy. I know we've talked in the past about how happiness is based on happenings. It's mostly circumstantial. But there is a sense in which this concept of blessing has to do with our own well-being, and so if you want full well-being, then you cannot look at the Bible as just something to obey. 
sometimes I think some of us grew up in circumstances and in churches where it's, you don't have to like it, you just have to do it, right? It's not intended to be liked. You just, you just have to obey, or it's a book of restrictions or a book of instructions that are designed to kind of fit us, conform us to a mold so that we're all going to kind of look generally the same because we are on the straight and narrow, or at least it's keeping us out of trouble, right? The Bible is so much more than that. The Bible is given to us by God as his personal revelation of himself to us. Not just his rules, his character, his uh, desires for us. And all of these things are wrapped up in the scriptures. These first few verses help us understand a little bit better just what it means when we say the Bible is here to bless you, to help you be happy. So I'm going to pray again before we get underway, and uh, then we're going to dive in. Father, uh, there is a sense in which I approach this section of Scripture with a little bit of extra weightiness because I am uh, about to talk about your word that was given to us. And uh, this is such a precious treasure. Uh, you have revealed yourself in it. You have revealed your character and your desires for us and your uh, plans for the future, your purpose in the world, and all of these things that you have given us the scriptures for. Uh, Lord, I have multiple copies of the Word of God, some at home in my office there, some here uh, in my uh, office at the church, and uh, I carry one with me. I have it on my phone, in my tablet, in my computer. Uh, Lord, it is all around me. Uh, Lord, I am cognizant, even as I'm uh, talking to you right now, that there are many of our brothers and sisters around the world who would love to have even a chapter of the Bible in their hands. Uh, there are many uh, nations around the world that there is no uh, translation of your word in their native tongue. Uh, so, Father, I, I just want to express my gratitude for <clears throat> the scriptures that you have given us, and I pray that as we uh, begin to think through this really powerful section of scripture uh, over the next few weeks, I, I'm asking, Lord, that you would guide our steps, give us understanding, give us joy as we approach your word, for I ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, there are three things. We're going to go to the first eight verses, all right? So this is the, the first section of the uh, uh, chapter, I'll call it that for lack of a better term. And it is uh, about experiencing God's blessing up front. Let me read the first three verses. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. Blessing. If we want to experience God's blessing, we walk in his ways. We walk according to his word. So we should know what it means to be blessed, right? What is the one of the first things people think of when you say, oh man, they were blessed. What did they just probably get in the mail? A check, right? Or a, a letter to say they got a promotion. I'm blessed because something really good happened to me, right? 
that certainly is part of how God blesses us. Sometimes God blesses us by granting us good and wonderful things, but blessing in the Scripture is, is way beyond the circumstances of life and whether things are currently positive or on a, on a negative trajectory. Blessing, first of all, when we see the word blessing very commonly, especially in the Psalms, it's written in a way that it's talking about it being an overflow. Like, like you get a good cup of coffee and they pour so much in it, you can't hardly get it to your mouth because it's about to spill over. That's what this is about, right? Blessing. Blessing can be a good cup of coffee, right? Um, at least for me. It, it, blessing is, well, one writer has called it a, a, uh, a sense of good fortune, a state of joyful mind. It's an opportunity for us to realize that God has been kind to us. Now, of course, moving to the end of the sermon and to the, the part of the story that the, much of the Bible is pointing to, he's been most kind to us in Jesus, right? He sent Jesus so that we could have a relationship with him. I'm going to come back around that at the end. There's a really interesting picture, I think, in here uh, of something that we can remember. But blessing is, is a fullness of life. It is a it is a sense of awareness that God is active, that God is, is filling my heart with joy and with satisfaction and contentment. And that can happen even in hard times, right? So here's, here's the interesting piece. Happiness is not the goal. So if I want to be happy, I don't go to the Word of God to be happy. But if I will give my heart and life to the Word of God, the result will be happiness. It will be blessed, blessedness. So if I want to be blessed, I don't make blessing my goal. If I want to be happy, I don't go after happiness. I go after God. And the result is happiness as he reveals himself in his Word. So the psalmist is asserting, says one writer, something of strategic importance, and I think it's really, really valuable to get at the beginning of this whole series. Our happiness is tied to valuing the Word of God. Tragically, the devil has succeeded in convincing most that that isn't true. Most people see God's commands as detrimental to their happiness. But just the opposite is the case. The key to happiness is to live in God's Word and to let His Word live in us. Blessedness. Do I want to be blessed? I know, we could have, I could have just called this sermon hashtag blessed, right? I see that all over the place. But again, that's usually connected to it was a pretty day and it didn't rain on my picnic and I got a raise or I got a new car or I hit a certain number of followers on whatever social media platform is important to me or whatever. Blessing from God has to do with God's ministry in my life and what he's doing in my heart. And if I want to be blessed, I need to walk in the Word. What does that mean? Walk in the Word. That's talking lifestyle, right? He says it several times in these first few verses. He talks about our way. He talks about those who walk in the law of the Lord, those who keep 
his testimonies, those who seek him, those who do no wrong, those who walk in his ways. All of those phrases are very active phrases, right? So let's remember, again, up front, if we want to experience God's blessing, this is about how we live, how we conduct ourselves, how we carry out our activities day to day. The Bible is not an academic pursuit. One of the dangers of, of spending a lot of time in education, learning more about the Bible, is it can become academic. It's one of the reasons that we try to be very careful, even in our discipleship and in our, in our theological training across coastal, that we don't just talk about this as though it's something to learn. Certainly, we want to learn it. In fact, next week, the section we're going to study talks about meditating on it, hiding it, keeping it in our hearts. It is important that we learn the Scriptures. But walking in the Scriptures, walking in the Word, from the beginning, we're to understand that keeping the law is a practical matter not just a matter of academic study. So it is not about learning all of the details. It's about honoring God as we live out the details. I heard it said one time that most people, if they, we spend way more time trying to learn all the new things we can about the Bible, but the problem is we're not already employing the things we do know about the Bible. It is important for us to live out the scriptures. Blessed is the one who, whose way is blameless, who walks in the way of the Lord. And so that leads us to the character piece, right? If we want to experience God's blessing, there are several things in these few verses that remind us of the kind of character we're to have. One is we're to be blameless. That's talking about integrity. I'm not a mathematician. So I don't know an integer from a whatever else there is. But I understand that there are some numbers that you just can't break down. They're called whole numbers. It's the idea behind integrity. We're a whole person. We are blameless. Does that mean you never do anything wrong? Because if that's the case, I'm out, right? I'm just not there. I don't have nothing wrong with me, and neither do you. It's been described as not having handles. Like when someone wants to, to get, uh, get something against you, they can't find handles to make it stick. They can't get a hold of something, right? You pick up a suitcase, it's got a handle. If you don't have a handle, it's hard to pick it up. Blameless means my life doesn't have handles so that when people make accusations, they've, they've got an easy target. Blameless is really important. That's part of my character. It's also wholehearted. We're going to spend a little time on this next week, too. But the idea of wholehearted, I think, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, and with all our soul, and all our might. This means my focus, everything about me is devoted to walking with God. Blessed are those whose ways blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, which again, by the way, seek him 
with their whole heart, right? This is not our idol. As much as we love the Word of God, it is God who deserves to be worshipped. And so we're seeking Him as we study the Scriptures. And the more we learn about the Bible and the more we live out what's in the Bible, the more we are learning about God and living for God. We are to be blameless. We're to be wholehearted in our commitment to this. And then there's a sense of constancy. Does verse 3 scare you just a little? Also, those who do no wrong but walk in his ways. Again, anybody volunteer to say, yeah, that's me. I don't ever do anything wrong. That's a scary thing to even want to say, right? It's vitally important. What did John say, though? The Apostle John, in the first letter that he wrote, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. It's not saying I never do anything wrong. It is my practice, my goal, my pattern is to walk with God. That person is blameless. How do I do that? How do I know to do that? From the Word. Blessed is the one whose way is blameless, who walks in the law of God, who keeps his testimonies, who seeks him, who walks in his ways. All of those terminologies are found here. I have the word of God, and that's how I experience blessing. Verses 4 and 5 talk about pursuing God's ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. You know, just because there's blessing in following the Word of God doesn't mean it's optional, right? I'm not suggesting to you, if you want to be blessed, learn the Word, love the Word, live in the Word, all of those things, and you'll be blessed. But that's not to suggest if you're not really worried that much about God's blessing, you don't have to do that because... God has commanded his precepts to be kept diligently. That's God's intention. It is his intention that we will obey. We certainly benefit from it. We will be blessed if we do, but it's still not optional, right? God intends, he gave us this so that we could obey him more fully. We should not be casual about it. Diligence, wholehearted has to do with our commitment, our general perspective and commitment. Diligence is when you work hard, right? I work diligently. I'm to pursue God and his commandments diligently. I should care deeply about that. So how do we do that? Dare I go back to the same things that we always talk about, that there's no secret sauce here, right? We, we invest in what, what, I call, what I would call the common graces. I, I faithfully am part of a church family. I attend corporate worship. I'm invested in taking in the scriptures. I'm part of a small group. I'm involving myself in prayer. I'm spending time in the scriptures on my own. All of those various things that are the ways that God imparts his grace to us are the things that I do to actively pursue working for God. I serve the Lord. I offer myself to him. All of those things 
are important. But lest we get it to just a legalistic assent to, well, God wants me to, so I'll just do it. Lest we fall off on that track again, he quickly says to us, as the writer of this psalm, which is likely David, I think, uh, oh, that my ways may be steadfast. Well, that's our desire. It's God's intention that we do that, but it is this, the writer, it's David's desire and ought to be our desire to be steadfast in keeping God's statutes. Our love for him should drive us to do what pleases him. 2 Corinthians 5.14 talks about how the love of Christ controls us. What God has done in my life and my love for him and the love he has demonstrated to me has a controlling influence in my life. I want to do this. I want to honor God. That keeps it from being legalistic, right? Obedience is not legalism. Doing what God has said is not legalism. Doing what God has said, thinking that I need to do this so God will be happier with me, I need to do this just because I'm supposed to, those kind of things are legalism. But obedience, because I just love God and it makes me happy to make him happy, is not legalism, that's relationship. If my wife really wants something or really wants me to do something, I have two options. I can say, well, she'll stop asking sooner if I just do it and get it over with, right? I could do that. I could do that. Or I could realize that in doing what she has asked me to do, I am making her happy and I could find joy in doing that. That's relationship, right? That's how it is with God. Sure, can we just obey? It is God's intention that we will keep his ways diligently. That is absolutely what God intends. But our desire is part of that. I want to do this. I want to walk with God. I want to love God. And then these last few verses, especially the very last one, but let me read 6 through 8. We're going to talk about enjoying God's grace. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. The word of God keeps me from shame. If I will honor God and honor his word, I will not have reason to be ashamed. Did your parents ever say that to you when you were a kid? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Because you didn't yet know enough to be ashamed of yourself, but you needed to learn there are occasions when you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Maybe we're still learning that, huh? But if I will honor God, if I will diligently, steadfastly keep his commandments, honor his word, I will not be put to shame because my eyes will be fixed on him and on his word. And when that's true, they are not distracted by other things around me that would perhaps lure me away. What was the very first negative emotion ever experienced in the world. Adam and Eve had it, right? They ate of the fruit and they realized they were naked and they felt 
shame. The first negative emotion we ever experienced in humanity was shame because we had dishonored God. When I'm faithful to his word, when I'm living according to the scriptures, I don't have that. The shame that I experience in life is because of the sin I tolerate in my life. I have an inner sense of inadequacy, and so do you. I can't measure up. I know that. I get it. But as I gain victories through obedience to the word of God, I realize that in the strength of Christ, I can honor God. I can live for him. I can love the word. And my shame is diminished. It keeps me from shame. It also leads me to praise. Verse 7, I'll praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. That's how we talk and why we talk about worshiping as a lifestyle, learning to love God, learning to live in the scriptures, learning to commit myself to the things of God throughout the week brings me to church ready to praise, brings me to church filled with a relationship that's been building all a week long. So I don't have to wait for the worship team to get me enthused. My heart is ready to worship God. They're just bringing it out of me. I realize, I totally get it. Sometimes we show up at church and it has not been that kind of week. And we are only at church because we ought to be at church. Good for you. If you came here this morning just because you should, I'm really glad you're here. But I hope it's not that way every single week. And I think that as we find ourselves committed wholeheartedly to the things of God, as we find them in his word, we will find that we want to be here more. And it's an outlet for our Praise, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. And then the last one. I thought something interesting came to my mind as I was reading verse 8. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. Why did he say that? What was, what was that about? Everything else seems to have been so positive. I'm not going to have shame. We're going to be blessed. And all these very positive things. What what does that mean? Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. I'm, gonna, I'm skipping over a verse, so that's just for the sake of our media people because they have a verse queued up that I'm not going to go to. But <laughs> um, what about today? What does this mean? I want to remind you that being in the Word drives us to grace. It drives me to depend on the grace of God. Do not utterly forsake me. Can I remind you of something? Romans 8 and verse 1 says, There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. None. You do not face condemnation if you have trusted in Jesus, repented of your sin, believed the gospel, and received Christ. You do not face condemnation, and you never will, because Jesus cared for it. You know something else that you will never have to face? Mark 15, verse 34, as Jesus is on the cross, he came to a moment near the end of his earthly life when we hear him cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm here to remind you and encourage you today, Jesus was forsaken of God, so you'll never have to be. What an incredible thought, right? 
I will never have to cry out, oh God, please don't forsake me. He has proved that he will never do that because he sent Jesus who cried out, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? Instead, we say with the writer to the Hebrews, in joy we remember that Jesus has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In fact, it's written with all kinds of bad English grammar, right? It starts with the word never in that verse to make sure we get the idea. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It's just not going to happen. It cannot happen because God is faithful. And he proved his faithfulness through Jesus. So let me hit those thoughts to take home. Can I have you responded to the gospel? Listen, there's not a lot of hope in these verses outside of Christ. You don't just obey everything that's in the Bible. You don't just follow all the right rules, get all the right stuff in line, make sure your act is together, make sure you're on a straight and Doing all of those things just because I'm following what I learned is not going to get you into heaven. Just That's not how it works. Following all the right laws, if you add them up, in the Old Testament, I think it's something like 613 specific laws. Not given so that people could be righteous in the sight of God, but given as a schoolmaster to help, to help them along the way until Jesus came, according to Galatians. You can, you can do all you want to live right, but here's the big question. Just exactly... How much sin is enough to get you out of your relationship with God? Like, at what point do you cross the line? If you're 80% good, is that good enough? Like, if, you, if your mechanic is 80% good at what he does, you'll probably find a new one, right? Nobody likes 80%. 90% even. Yeah, he gets it most of the time. He misses about one out of ten things, and you're stranded on the side of the road somewhere. That's not good by any standard. You get to school, all right, there's a little bit of grace. You do really good, you get 100 or 90. You can get an 80, you know, and you can get, I think, a 60 or so nowadays, and you can at least get past the class. I hope, I hope my doctor got more than 60s in all of his classes, right? How good is good enough. The Bible tells us, right? Perfect is good enough. Absolutely, 100% righteous is good enough. So, of course, the problem is none of us has that, right? We all fall short of that. God's goodness is up here. None of us is up here. We're all somewhere on this scale, right? All the horrible serial killers and terrible people are down here, you know, and I don't know, the Pope and Mother Teresa, and maybe Pastor Market, I don't know. Um, you know, we got some people that might be this close, but you know what? Nobody's perfect. And so, therefore, we're all out. We all fall short of the glory of God. So what did God do? God had given us, we have his inspired written word, he sent his word in person, the incarnate word, Jesus, 
His last word to us was Jesus, and he sent him to live the perfect life that we could never live on our own. And then he died on the cross, paying the penalty for sin. He was buried, and on the third day, he literally came back to life again, and I have to receive Jesus to be made right with God. What does that mean? It means, in a little longer form, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner and I have fallen short. It doesn't matter how, false, how far short I fall. It matters that I have fallen short, and I acknowledge that, and I repent of my sin. I turn from that, and I believe in Jesus, not just who he was, not just information about him, but I, I trust that when I receive Christ, the righteousness of Jesus gets applied to my account. Man, some of you got a little bit of extra boost from the governor in the last week or two, right? Something else got applied to your account. You didn't go to work. Well, you did earn it, I realize, but let's not debate that. My point is you weren't expecting it, and it got applied to your account. The righteousness of Jesus gets applied to my account, and God considers when he died on the cross paying the penalty for sin, he considers my sin to have been paid for there that Jesus bore my sin. He experienced being forsaken by God so I don't have to. So I repent of my sin. I believe in the gospel that Jesus came, lived for me, died for me, came back to life on day three, and is coming back again someday, and I receive him as my Savior. Repent of my sin, believe in Jesus in short terms. And once I've done that, then I begin this process of growth. And the scriptures become alive to me. And I begin to invest myself diligently in learning the scriptures so I can live in a way that's pleasing to God, understanding who he is. But I never have to worry about being forsaken again. So if you're here this morning and you've never responded to the message of the gospel, man, we'd love to talk to you. Secondly, are you wholeheartedly committed to learning loving and living God's word. I know you already saw that up there. Is that your commitment? I hope it is. And then what's your next step? What's the next thing you need to do? Maybe you need to find a way to serve the Lord. Maybe you need to become a part of a, of a smaller community of believers. You know we're all about that here. We want you to be part of that. Maybe uh, you need to have some friend or family member that you've haven't talked to recently about Jesus, and you want to do that. What's your next step? What's your next step of obedience to what God has revealed to you? Man, I hope you'll take it. It's uh, this, this book, right? What, what, what is the phrase? You'll, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. We've got to give ourselves a commitment to the Word of God so that we can learn to live for God and walk with God. And the result of that, we seek God, God blesses us. It's the result, not the goal, right? Man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm enthused about this stuff, and uh, I'm already thinking about next week's section, so it's a little hard not to get my mind going over there. But uh, at any rate, uh, man, I hope if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, man, let us, let us talk to you. We would love to do that. And uh, 
We've got people that will come down here to the front. You'll see them up front. If you're new to us, they're here for prayer. If you would like to come, pray about anything, anything that's on your mind or heart. They would love to talk with you and encourage you. People just kind of wander down here during the song, and they'll uh, pray with you, or they'll stick around a couple minutes afterwards if they need to. Uh, whatever is on your heart, you come. Let them pray with you. They'd be happy to do it. And uh, we're going to sing while that's happening, and then I'll come back. We'll do our benediction, and off we go, all right? So let me pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. We're very grateful that you have not left us here alone uh, without direction. So I'm, I just am so appreciative of the fact that you've given us the scriptures to guide our steps, and I pray that we would be wholeheartedly committed to you, by living, loving, uh, and loving your word. And I pray that you would uh, help us as we learn it to grow, uh, to be more like you, and to live more happily because we are honoring you. Lord, we want to do that. That's our heart's desire in Jesus' name. Amen.